All right, you are here for the Reversing Diabetes with Delane MD podcast. This is episode number 165. So if you're on YouTube and you're watching this and this is the first time you've ever seen me do anything on reversing type 2 diabetes, please go to your iTunes or I guess your Apple podcast player or your Google Play or Stitcher or iHeartRadio. The podcast is listed on all that. There's 164 other episodes to check out that talk about all the strategies, all the biology, everything that I teach my clients to help them reverse their type 2 diabetes. So if you're new to the podcast, if this is the first time you're listening, I'm your host, Dr. Delaine Vaughn. I'm a board-certified family practice doctor, and I'm a certified life and weight coach. I combine those two pieces of information and those two training sets and skill sets to help women with type 2 diabetes reverse their diabetes, come off their meds, and live a naturally healthy life. If you're interested in living a naturally healthy life, you are in the right place. That is what we talk about in this podcast. So today we are going to talk about overeating and why you are overeating, why you continue to eat the things, even though you know you shouldn't be, like they're not the foods that are going to serve your health. We're going to talk about why we're doing that. Before we get started, please follow me on social media. You can follow me at DelaneMD on Instagram, on Facebook. You can find me on YouTube. If you're watching this on YouTube, you've already done that. Please like the channel so you'll get all the podcasts when they get released. Um, anything that I offer as far as a webinar, an informational session, the five-day free program that I offer a few times a year, all of that will be promoted through those social media platforms. So if you're interested in that, please follow me there so that you can get that information. If you're interested in my six-month program, six-month program for type 2 diabetics, women with type 2 diabetes who are interested in improving their blood sugars, avoiding insulin, getting off their meds, learning how to eat in alignment with their biology. If you're interested in any of those things, send me an email, delane at delanemd.com. I will respond to you. We'll set up a time for a consult and You'll see how the program works, how it will work for you and get you signed up to go. If you're listening to any of my podcasts, if you're listening to this on YouTube, wherever you find this information and you have questions about the information, reach out to me, delane at delanemd.com. I'm happy to answer any question. Um, if you have been doing these things and getting great results, I want to hear that story. I want to hear that story and I want to share that story with others because so many times people don't understand what's possible. And when you tell me the story that you've just listened to my podcast and you've made all these changes and your A1C is down 5.3, I want others to hear that. Medical community does not tell you it's possible to live without type 2 diabetes. They tell you you need medications and it's a progressive disease that's going to continue to get worse and you're going to have to continue to have more medications no matter what happens. That is baloney. That is not even true. That is not how it works. So I'm here to tell you that it's different. And if you've had the results that it's different, please share that with others. Let others know it's possible. If you don't want me to share your name, that's fine. If you don't want me to share it at all, that's fine. But understand, I put this information out there because it is truly my passion to let every human being out there know that they can live a naturally healthy life. You do not need to be on meds all the time for the majority of the human beings. And I'm a doctor. I mean, like that's my shtick. I give meds, right? Like we don't need them. If we learn how to live with an alignment with our biology, we don't need to do that. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So women frequently will come to my program or they'll come to me and they're struggling with that overeating. I was struggling with that, right? Like they can't figure out how to stop overeating or they're eating foods that they know don't align, right? When we're overeating, even if we're overeating apples or bananas, right? Like I know the nutritionist, 
Oh, they're going to get all excited. They're going to be all like, don't eat apples and bananas. Nobody got diabetic because their banana problem. That is not the issue at hand. Don't let anybody tell you any of that. It is not the apples. It's not the bananas. But no matter if you're eating like four pounds of bananas in one sitting, chances are really good. That's going to be too many carbs for you and your blood sugars will climb. So if you're having this overeating issue, even if you're not overeating potato chips or Doritos or chocolate, even if it's just something banana wise, like that definitely leads to higher carbs and leads to higher blood sugars, right? Women come to me and they can't figure out why they keep doing this. Even then they know it's a problem. They keep doing this, right? Or they can't stop eating certain foods, the candies, the donuts. So remember part of this, the stickiness of it is that many of times people are doing what's been recommended either by nutritionists or dietitian, or it's what they see like this is a keto-friendly food, like this is keto okay. They're following recommendations placed by others that they take as authorities, like that's how I should be eating. And then they don't see the results and then they get frustrated and they throw in the towel and then they're eating the things, right? Like all of these things cause us to eat foods that keep us sick. And again, whether it's the overeating part of it, whether it's the candies or the donuts, or whether it's you're eating keto bars from blah, 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 wherever, all of these things keep us sick. And so I want to talk about that. I want to talk about why we're doing this, why you're doing it, why I used to do that, why it's so hard to stop. So there are three reasons that we over-desire food. That's really what this comes down to. It's an over-desire food. Like if you've eaten one banana because you think one, like bananas are going to be the most, they're going to be so good. I'm going to love this banana. And then you eat it and you want more. That's over-desire because you just had the banana. Clearly it didn't fix the wanting more, the over-desire. Okay. Same thing with the donuts or the candies. I love this food so much. It's going to fix everything in the world. I need this food for me. It was M&Ms and Diet Cokes, right? In the afternoon. I was like, oh, the afternoon is just so heavy with work. What am I going to do? I better eat more M&Ms. And then of course the M&Ms didn't fix the heaviness of work. The over-desire for M&Ms led me to start the M&Ms and then continue to eat the M&Ms, even though they didn't fix the thing that I believed they would fix. Okay. So three reasons that we're having this over-desire for food is one is our neurochemistry, our natural brain response. Really specifically, it is the addictive circuitry in our brain that's stimulated by these foods. And I want to talk about that. The other things, the other two things, the programming by our society, like how we are programmed. And what I mean by programmed is thoughts that are fed to us by others about food that comes from our society that leads to the overeating, even when we don't need to eat. And then the other thing that leads to overeating is when we try to avoid our emotions. So I offer to all of my clients that eating is a biological event. It's a biological experience. It has a biological function. That's all it is. It is biology. It's all eating is. That is what it's meant for. That's all it's meant to do is to bring in nutrient to our body to run our cells and our tissues and our muscles and our organ systems and all that stuff. That's what eating is. It is a way for us. It is a process for us as human beings, as an animal on this earth, to bring nutrient inside so that our body can use those nutrients. Okay. 
anytime that you're eating outside of that, it's anything it's, it's unnecessary. It's just overeating. Like you don't need it. So for those of us and all of us, even people, most people, and if you're able to watch YouTube, for God's sake, you're probably in this category. Most of us have multiple meals stored on our bodies in various places as adipose tissue, as fat tissue. That's like the whole point of fat tissue is to store up energy for when there isn't nutrient to be consumed by our mouths, then our body's like, oh, that's cool. I've got some stored up here. I've got this. We don't need to fret right? Most of us have multiple meals, like tens, 20, 30, 40, 50 meals stored up on our bodies. And those are humans that have a normal body mass index. People who have a body mass index outside of that normal range have even more than that. What I want you to hear from this is nobody is starving up in here. There is no need to eat for anything other than nutrition for our body. Okay. Nobody's starving up in here. No need to eat for any other reason than nutrition. And then from a deciding point, not right or wrong, right? Like there's no need to, I don't have to do anything because I might starve to death. There's no need to, from this neutral space of what I want to do, do I want to eat in a way that serves my biology or do I not? Yes or no, right? Like this is part of the coaching aspect, but the overeating and the desire is what leads us to make decisions to eat that doesn't in a way that doesn't align with our biology is what it comes down to. Eat in a way that causes us to have things like type 2 diabetes. So this was part of my my journey, right? Like I had pre-diabetes and I was a doctor. I was a nurse before I went to medical school. And then I was a doctor. I was like, how is this even possible? How do I not understand the biology of what's creating this? And the fact is, is that's just not how we as a society look at it. We don't look at food as the reason that we're causing our illnesses here. And that's what primarily type 2 diabetes is. So I want to talk about these three reasons that we over-desire food today. If you have interest about the biology of type 2 diabetes, please check out my previous podcast. If you don't want to do that, just be patient. I'll come back to it. I feel like I talk about the biology of type 2 diabetes at least three or four times, well, at least three times a month. So next Next week's podcast will probably be on the biology or at least briefly review the biology of type 2 diabetes. But today I really want to stick to the um, three reasons that we really over desire food because I see this with my clients. I saw it with me. I still see the desire for food, but the intensity of it is definitely much less. And it's much less because I know about these three reasons that we over desire food. So let's talk about the neurochemistry and how our neurochemistry, so our brain, the chemistry in our brain, how it gets hijacked. So recognize there is a natural neurochemical experience that happens when we consume foods. And this is old, this is an archaic or an ancient way that our brain worked in order to keep us alive. So 10,000 years ago, there was not food on every corner. You couldn't just go into the quick trip or the quick shop or the convenience store and buy food to consume to feed your cells nutrient. It wasn't available. So we had to have some way of incentivizing us, of motivating us to get out and hunt and gather food, or we would have starved to death, right? Because also a very archaic drive for the human being is to stay safe, right? The cave's safe, even if there's no food there. 
but you got to get out of the cave and go eat or you're going to starve to death. So our brains developed a way that when we eat, we get a release of dopamine into our brain and people will think of dopamine as a feel-good neurotransmitter, makes us feel good. And there is some element of feel-goodness with it, but more than feel-goodness, dopamine is a motivating neurotransmitter. The higher the release of dopamine with an activity, with an action that creates dopamine, the higher the release, the higher the concentration of dopamine in that moment that's released, the more motivated you'll be in the future to redo that behavior, to repeat that action, okay? So 10,000 years ago, we'd be in the cave, we'd be like, oh gosh, I haven't procured any food for probably a day, a day and a half. I probably ought to take some time, go out and get some food. It's a dangerous world out there. Are you sure I shouldn't stay inside? No, we really know we like to eat. So let's go find some food. So we'd go out and we'd hunt and gather food and we'd eat. Maybe we'd find some berries, maybe we'd find some veggies, maybe we'd find some nuts, maybe we got really ambitious and we killed an animal and we ate the animal. Whatever it was, when we would eat this food, there would be a release of dopamine into our brain so that our brains would let us know that we as the human being would understand that we should be motivated to repeat that behavior for our survival, okay? All that was available for us 10,000 years ago were natural foods, right? Like we're natural. Nobody was getting sick. Again, nobody got diabetes because their banana problem. Like I jokingly say that, and I guess there's probably a way somebody could worsen their diabetes. I still don't know that you could get diabetes from a banana problem. Either way, for the most part, I've yet to meet the person or the patient that's like, yeah, I don't eat any processed food. It's just the bananas. And that's why I'm diabetic. I've yet to meet that person. So if they're, if you're out there, please call me. I want to hear you. I want to know you. I want to meet you. I want to talk to you. Nobody got diabetic from the natural foods available on the earth. It's because that's eating in alignment with our biology. But of course, today's food Like it it made a lot of sense. Like you eat food when your body needs it. You're driven and motivated to eat food that your body needs for nutrient, for nutrition, to give energy to ourselves. That made tons of sense, but recognize that's not what most of us deal with. It's not like meat roasted over a fire that we're all losing our marbles about or carrots or potatoes, right? Like now it's a beautiful cupcake that's like so beautifully made. By the baker down the street. It's so very available. In fact, you can buy 12 at a time, 13 if you want a baker's dozen, right? Like you can just buy so much of it at the time, it's so readily available. So, what I want you to think about the amount of carbohydrates available in that cupcake is never naturally available to the human being, not from one food source. So, I did some um, calculations here grams of carbohydrates to grams of food is the calculation. So you take the grams of carbohydrates. So if there are 10 carbohydrates and one gram of food, you get one, well, you get 10, carb- 10, 10, like that's the, the ratio there. For every one gram of food, you're getting 10 carbohydrates, okay? So 10. So I'm gonna go through this because I did this with a number of different foods. So for a banana, there are 31 grams of carbs for 136 grams of food. That means for every single gram of food, you're getting 0.23 carbs. 
Okay. And that's a banana. These are the problem children of the world, right? Like this is what the nutritionists and the diet nutritionists and the dietitians will tell you you should stay away from are the bananas. They're clearly the problem. Please hear my sarcasm because that, that comment is seeping with sarcasm. Bananas are not the problem. So there's 0.23 grams of carbs for every gram of banana that you eat. If you have a potato, it's 0.2 grams of carbs for every gram of potato that you eat. If you have grapes, it's 0.18 grams of carbs for every gram, gram of grapes that you would eat. For whole grain rice, now this is whole grain rice. This is not minute rice. This is not the rice you probably can find at the store anywhere. But even for whole grain rice, like that, clearly that's going to be super carby, right? I mean, it's rice for God's sake. 0.24 grams of carbs for every gram of whole grain rice that you eat. On the contrary, if you eat a Nature Valley granola bar, there is 0.68 grams of carb for every gram of granola bar. So that's about a threefold increase than any of the natural foods. If you eat a Snickers bar, a candy bar, 0.61 grams of carbs for every gram of food. If you're eating those Lindor chocolates, those little chocolates, you get 0.45 grams of carbs for every gram of chocolate that you eat. You can see just by those basic, I mean, literally these are like back of the napkin calculations, right? I looked this up with nutritionics.com online, but you can see where the amount of carbs that you're getting from artificial foods, foods that are not natural to the human being, Nature Valley granola bars, I'm talking about that. Snickers bar, clearly there's no Snickers tree out there. You're plucking Snickers off of, right? Lindor chocolates, little chocolate truffles that you get. There's no chocolate truffle tree, right? The artificial foods highly concentrate the carbohydrate component of the foods over our natural counterparts, which means that carbohydrate component is what goes up and binds that dopamine response and releases that large dopamine effect. So that means that you're getting a much more concentrated carbohydrate delivered to your brain to give you a concentrated release of dopamine, which means your motivation to eat those foods are gonna be very, very, very strong. And this is where the hijacking occurs, right? So recognize we get dopamine release when we eat meat or veggies or fruits or nuts, but we get it released in a way that's very natural and our body is entirely prepared to handle, like we know how to handle this. Nobody's losing their marbles and stealing from grandma to get more cashews, right? Like that's not happening. But the food processors understand how this neurochemistry works and they heavily exploit this neurochemistry in a way that makes you want their food over everybody else's. So we eat them and frequently we'll overeat them and we get this huge unnatural surge of dopamine and that dopamine is what does that, it drives the desire. It makes us want to repeat it all the time. And this is why you want those foods all the time. The rough part, the frustrating part, I think for me, and the sad part and frustrating part for my clients and people who don't even know this is possible. The frustrating part is that there are trusted sources out there that tell you that this food's okay. Dare I say that they say this food is healthy. Okay. The FDA allows food labels and I'm not interested in being conspiracy theorists or saying the FDA is the devil and blah, I'm not interested in that. I just want you to understand the FDA allows foods to put, make claims of health on their labeling 
even though they are not natural foods and they have this dopamine response that makes you desire, that drives the desire for these foods all the time. These unhealthy foods, they hijack these addictive neurochemical pathways to make you crave that food all the time. So recognize a lot of the times that the reason that the FDA, I don't know about the FDA, but definitely the ADA, the American Diabetes Association, and then your dietitians and your nutritionists, the reasons that they make their recommendations aren't always because it's what creates, it's what aligns with your biology. <laughs> a lot of times it's how do we manage this desire that people can't seem to get on top of because they don't understand that this is what's happening. We're eating foods that create desire. That desire makes us repeat this behavior. That behavior keeps us desiring it and makes us sick. And they don't understand that component. And so they'll say that like, you can have so many grains or you can have so many grams of carbs with every meal. I think they say something ridiculous, like 50, 50 grams, maybe 50, 35 to 50 grams of carbs with every meal. I cannot even imagine that. Like I have all my clients drop way lower than that, but they say this. And so I asked one, one day, I was like, I was at this fair and there was the ADA and there was a dietitian and she had her little plate and the plate had all these sectionings. And this, this section here was for grains, whole grain, you know, whole grains. And I said to her, I said, why do you think the ADA is continuing to make recommendations for grains when clearly type two diabetics have had their lifetime allotment of carbohydrates and grains? And her answer like appalled me. I mean, it was almost offensive because we can guarantee better compliance that way was her answer. So it's kind of like the equivalent of a cocaine addict or a cigarette smoker or an alcoholic being like, well, I mean, like you can't drink tequila every night, but you can have a beer or two because we get more compliance with it that way, right? So recognize like sometimes this is where the confusion, again, we have these trusted sources and we believe them, but like the, the recommendations they're giving you does not align with biology and it doesn't get you the results you want. And then you get really frustrated and you throw in the towel. If you look at the studies about whole grains, so do recognize whole grains definitely have evidence with them that they create improved glycemic control. But what people do not talk about when Wonder Bread puts their whole grain bread on their packaging and what the FDA doesn't hold them to is that whole grains is not the same as highly processed, finely ground whole grains. Okay. So if it's a fine powder, that's a finely ground, highly processed whole grain, very, very different than whole wheat kernels. Those are very different biological experiences in your body. Okay. The FDA does not make them separate those out. Okay. So if you're confused, I get it. If you're confused by what the government tells you, you can and cannot eat by what the ADA tells you, you can and cannot eat by what your Registered dietitian who works with diabetics only tells you you can and cannot eat. I get it. I totally understand because these trusted sources are not looking at what's best for your biology. They're looking at all sorts of other things. So that's the first reason that we overeat. It's because our neurochemistry gets hijacked. Okay. And part of that hijacking happens from foods that we think are healthy. Nature Valley granola bar is a great example. Like people think those things are healthy all the time. They're not. They're primarily sugar. If you look at the label, they're primarily sugar. So 
The next thing I want to talk about is conditioning by our society. So this goes into our relationship with food, which I think is always really interesting. A lot of times people, they want a relationship with food so that it's not a problem. The food isn't a problem. Okay. And so they want to not overeat. I want to be able to just have a half a slice of chocolate cake, or I want to be able to just have even like, I mean, we do this with not just food. People will do this with alcohol or cigarettes or all sorts of things, right? Again, alcohol and cigarettes are also a non-natural human experience. Like these aren't available 10,000 years ago. There wasn't an alcohol tap somewhere for people to have wine or beer and cigarettes weren't available 10,000 years ago, the way they are now. Right. I, I would say that they weren't available at all, but I mean, even if they were rolling tobacco 10,000 years ago in some kind of native American or like ritualistic thing. Okay, fine. Maybe that existed, but they weren't available in curtains by at your grocery store. Like that availability wasn't there. So all of those, the availability of those things now is a non-natural availability. Okay. And it hijacks your neurochemistry, right? All of these things, alcohol and tobacco, nicotine, they both turn on these receptors in our brain that release these feel-good neurotransmitters. And suddenly we are desiring these things in a way that is not aligned with our biology is really what it comes down to. And again, a lot of this goes to these relationships. Like I want to be able to only have one and it not be a problem. So this was explained to me by another coach and I thought it was brilliant, but how she said it was like, nobody ever is like, I just want to get control over my shoplifting. Right. And shoplifting is the same thing as desire, right? Like I have a desire for something and I want it. And I don't really want to consider all the problems about getting it. I just want it. I have a desire for chocolate and I just want it. I don't want to consider the fact that it's going to make me sick with type 2 diabetes or it's going to make what I already have as type 2 diabetes worse. I just want it. Okay. It's that desire. Nobody's sitting there going, oh, I really need to get my, I, I just want to do shoplifting in a, a controlled way. I just want to shoplift occasionally, not all the time. Right. What I want to offer is that people who don't have a problem with shoplifting, they just aren't interested in shoplifting. They don't want it in their life at all. They understand that that just doesn't align for them. Okay. And I'm going to get to, you know, I always say I'm not a never ever person. I'm going to get to that. I'm still not going to never ever, but recognize when you want those foods that create that over desire in your body, in your life. You are also asking for the over-desire. You are asking for the drive and the urge and the craving to eat that food because that is what comes with that food. But our society tells us that that's not how it works, that it's okay, right? Like, so recognize that your relationship with food, people talk about this, I want a better relationship with food. Your relationship with anything is just a collection of your thoughts about that thing or that person. Women will want to hold to the belief. People will come to me. They want to hold to believe that these foods are the treat foods. They're okay. A little's fine. Just eating it sometimes is okay. They want to hang on to those beliefs and believe they're going to get a different relationship with food. And what I want to offer you is that's not how it works. There's no way you're going to change your relationship with food unless well, while you're clinging to those thoughts, but without changing those thoughts. It just doesn't work that way. And why it doesn't work that way is because those foods create the over-desire. They're inherent with the food. 
if you're going to have the cake, you're going to have the over-desire for the cake because that's what comes with the cake. Just like the chocolate icing, that's what comes with the cake. So again, these foods create the over-desire. Food manufacturers depend on that. That's like literally their business model rides on you desiring it more. These foods make you sick. They create a cycle of desire that you're bucking against and your illness. Okay. I would offer when I think of all those things, when I think like, oh, the food creates a desire. Oh, the food manufacturer is exploiting that to make me buy their food. Oh, it's creating my illness. My immediate question is why, for the love of all that's holy, would you want to keep those beliefs in your life that you just want a little bit? More importantly, can you see that you are wanting to have this in your life, that you are that, that wanting to hold on to these thoughts, wanting to keep those things in your life, those thoughts of these are just treat foods. A little is okay. Occasionally is fine. If you want to hold on to that thought, but you're expecting the relationship with food to change or your biology when you eat those foods to be different or that you wouldn't have a desire that just doesn't match, okay? So, and the other thing within our society, right? So a couple of things, one, that we have these beliefs and we truly believe they're legitimate. And I'm going to talk about like when you get into social circles and you're not eating, people look at you like you have three heads. So one, it's this belief that we as a society have that some's okay. A little bit's all right. I mean, it's not a problem. One candy isn't going to kill you, right? But it's never one candy. Nobody's talking to me because they're can only eat one candy. That's not why we're having this conversation. Okay. The marketing that our food has also pushes us to eat them. So you see it in Dairy Queen commercials and McDonald's commercials. You see it in Snickers commercials, like the hangry. I miss that Betty White commercial. I love Betty White. I miss that commercial because now she's gone, but I, it's a hysterical commercial, but people are like, there's something wrong with being hangry. We got to fix it with a Snickers bar just a little bit's okay, right? Societal norms push us towards this also. Um, I'm talking parties. So I think it's very interesting. And I've come up, um, I've had this experience recently. So one, at parties, when you go to a get together, I'm, ha- I'm planning a holiday party. It's coming up and I love the holidays and I love holiday parties, but the holiday at a holiday get together. And I am guilty of this. The hostess with the mostest is pushing everybody to the food table, everybody to the drink table, everybody to have fun. Have fun clearly looks like a stop at both of those tables. If you are not indulging in those at a party, people will look at you like have three heads. I have recently um, cut a lot of alcohol out of my life. This is so funny. I have cut down quite a bit from drinking. Maybe I'll have a glass or two in a week. Usually even that I don't have. I do have kombucha right here in a wine glass because it looks really fancy, but it's still just kombucha, home-brewed kombucha. But either way, and of course there's a little bit of alcohol in there, but when I'm at a get-together and somebody offers me a drink and I say, no, I'm breaking up with wine, they look at me. They'll ask me, people have asked me, did you get a DUI? There must be something wrong. If you're not drinking, did you get in trouble with the law? Is the law keeping you from drinking? I didn't get a DUI. Everybody rest at ease. Mom, if you're watching, I didn't get a DUI. I just think my life's a little bit better without so much alcohol on it. That's all. So I'm cutting it out. So 
the same thing with food though, right? Like somebody can be like, if you got a DUI, if you're in trouble with the law or an alcoholic, then it's okay to not have alcohol. Any other reason is insane. It's the same thing with food. People can be morbidly obese. I mean, a, a morbidly morbid obesity, anybody can see that doesn't, you don't need to do any calculations. People can peg that from a mile away. Recognize people can be morbidly obese or the hostess with the mostest can know you're a type two diabetic and they will still push you to the food table. They'll still push you there and they'll feed you those same lines. A little bit won't hurt. One bite's okay. You can start tomorrow. Just a taste is fine. And that's seen as hospitable. That's seen, both of those actions are seen as being hospitable. So recognize like some of this is societal. We want, and again, we want to learn how to eat in moderation. We want to learn how to drink in moderation, right? Like we want to do all this in moderation. And we ignore the fact that the neurochemistry of those those chemicals in our body create the over-desire that we're trying not to experience, okay? So with all of these things, the difference between people who have a quote-unquote problem, and I don't like that phrase, but let's just use that to move forward, whether it be a problem with drinking or whether it be a problem with overeating, and the people who don't have those issues, the only difference between these two sets of people are your beliefs about it. That's the only difference right? There is not something in population A versus population B that makes the neurochemistry or the biology different. Like people who just aren't into food, they still get a dopamine release. They're just not as compelled by it, right? They're just not believing it. Or I would offer even more than that, at least for me, because I used to be in that really compelled population, that really compelled group. Now I know enough about that food that it is not appealing to me. Donuts aren't appealing to me. Candy isn't appealing to me. I don't want to be have my neurochemistry hijacked by the food manufacturers so they can make a buck off of me. And I know that that's what's happening and I'm not interested, okay? So here's what I wanna offer you. <laughs> None of this is true or false. It's all just a belief. The only difference between population A that is compelled by these substances and population B that isn't is their beliefs about it. The only difference between me, where I'm not compelled by those foods, and somebody else who is, is that I have thoughts about that food that are different. My thoughts are that food is going to drive a lot of desire. Your thought might be one bite isn't so bad. That's the only difference. The biology is the same. So I always think that that's really important to point out because a lot of times people, we get fed these beliefs from society from the time we're little. We get fed these beliefs and these ideas. And then we get fed from like our society and experts that, oh, it's going to gain compliance. So a little bit's okay. No. The foods that create your type 2 diabetes are foods that do not align with your biology as a human being. Think about this. Like the studies, there's two studies. One was in 2019. One was this last July. They were both published. One by the University of North Carolina, one by Tulane. I think it was Tulane. Maybe it was Tufts. Either way, 
The one in, 19, in 2019 said that 88% of Americans were metabolically unhealthy. The one this summer in July, 2022, said that number is up to 93%. Okay. This is a societal issue about the beliefs that we have about food. Okay. And those, that programming is part of what creates the desire that we have for foods that are making us sick. We need to learn to undo that, to challenge that. Is that even real? Okay. And then lastly, the third reason that we overdesire and overeat food is because we avoid emotions and situations. We don't want to feel badly. For me, I didn't want to be bored. I'd be bored in the afternoon. So I'd eat M&Ms the whole afternoon long. I'd drink Diet Coke and eat M&Ms because I was having to chart and charting is boring and I needed a little flair in my day. I didn't want to feel bored. Some people don't want to feel socially awkward. That's why they drink and eat at parties, right? Because they don't want people looking at them, but why they're not drinking and eating, even though they're sick with something, right? From eating per se, I'm not necessarily talking about drinking. I'm talking more about the eating component. It's why people eat when they're angry or they're lonely or they're happy at weddings. It's just that we don't manage our emotional environment very well. We aren't taught that. And so we don't do that. And instead we use food to help us manage that. So seeing that the desire that we have for our food creates a drive to overeat that food. That's it. Everybody wants to learn how to do it in moderation. And what I want to offer you is that is not the answer. The answer is to learn how to desire it less. So if you no longer want to overeat, you have to decrease that desire for the food. Okay. And part of decreasing the desire for the food is to not continue to consume it because the food creates the desire, right? But recognize that you, it is possible to eat this food. You just have to recognize that over desire is going to come with it, right? So this hijacking of our neurochemistry happens with all sorts of things. Some of them are natural. And I don't know that it's hijacking when it's natural. It's like, like I said, nobody's stealing from grandma to go and have, you know, tomatoes, cherry tomatoes, right? Although there's a dopamine release with it, right? But we have other things. We want to be connected. Dopamine drives us to be connected. Dopamine drives oxytocin and dopamine drives us to care for our babies. Dopamine drives us to be achieved, right? To go out and achieve things. There are natural ways of doing this and there are artificial ways of doing this. When we do it artificially, we usually increase the concentration of those feel-good neurotransmitters, which make us want to do it in an unnatural way, like at the expense of what's best for us. Okay. So social media is a great example. We want people to like us. We have a natural drive to be liked, but social media is kind of an artificial circumstance. That's not something that's found in nature. Gaming is another example. We want to be achieved. Like you can go and build a world and conquer everything and like you're fabulous in a game. But again, that's artificial. That's not real, but the intensity of it drives us to only want to play the game, right? Not interact as a real human being, missing our chances to actually go out and achieve. Alcohol, we have a desire to unwind or to relax. It's a natural desire to unwind and relax. It's a false belief and an artificial circumstance when we use alcohol. And we believe that it does that. Alcohol does not create relaxation or unwinding. Your belief that alcohol does 
that creates that feeling of relaxation. But alcohol actually does not biochemically release anything that makes you feel calm. In fact, in the way you know this is some people get irritable, some people get anxious, some people want to fight when they've been drinking. Like all of these things are things that people experience when they've been drinking. So, you know, alcohol is not a consistent biological actor to create calm because that's not what everybody experiences. Okay. Cigarette smokers, you have the desire for the nicotine, or you really have the desire with cigarettes to not withdraw from the nicotine. And that's again, this unnatural experience. Drug users have it. Shoplifters have it. They have a desire for some material good that overrides their moral compass and makes them do things that are not aligned. Like in this artificial situation, it's not aligned with who you are. I would offer like nobody's out there giving you like, oh, we're going to set up this place where you can sneak around and just steal whatever you want, but you got to pay a $20 cover charge. And then everything that you can steal is yours. We're not even setting that up because we understand that that desire is just not right. Like that doesn't align with <laughs> our value system, right? So recognize Many times that we have a desire because we don't want to have a feeling or an emotion. Many times we have a desire because we're told socially that that's kind of where we need to be. And then a lot of times all of these trigger this neurochemical response that is very, very difficult. If you're unaware of it, it's very difficult to override it. So have I changed into a never, ever kind of girl? No, I haven't changed into a never, ever kind of girl. I will have cake at my birthday, even though I will get a gluten rash on my legs and I will probably have apple pie at the holidays, the kind my grandmother's recipe, I'll make it and I'll have that. Um, I like my life without sugar in it so much. So I don't have that much. I do have honey. I have natural sweeteners, but, and even that like, right, like honey's natural. What are you talking about, Delane? Well, I'll tell you something. Honey is natural, but it's guarded by a bunch of stinging insects. So it's clearly not meant to be eaten on a regular basis, right? Like it's not a free-for-all on honey. So I do have honey, but I don't like sugar in my life so much. However, when my birthday comes and I have birthday cake, I will entirely expect to have cravings for that cake after it's long gone. I will entirely expect that I'll probably gain some weight in the holiday season because I'm eating things that I don't usually eat. I understand that I'm exchanging something for another always. There's always an exchange, folks, always. If I want the super tasty food, I'm exchanging desire, cravings, and urges for that food when I eat it. If I don't want, like I'm not willing to have the urges, the cravings, the desires, then I'm exchanging the tasty part for something a little more boring and bland. There's always an exchange. Neither is right or wrong. None of it's right or wrong. It's just, it's just a neutral circumstance. You make a choice and you accept everything that comes along with it. Recognize when you're kind of naive to this neurochemical part that's going on or seeing what's happening in society or recognizing that we just want to avoid the circumstances or our feelings when we're naive to that part that's really driving the overeating we don't accept we aren't willing to accept everything that comes along with it so like we have the chocolate and then we can't figure out why we desire it all day long <laughs> we have the chocolate and desire it all day long because that's part of having the chocolate that is the difference I want to offer here. Is it wrong? Is it never, ever? No, none of that is, it's not wrong. It's not never, ever. When you have chocolate, you will have desire for it. Your blood sugars will do a certain thing. It's just biology. 
do you want all the biology that comes with it? It's like when you're going on a car ride and you like got a big bottle of water and you like drinking the water and you're like, oh, I love the water. Water is delicious. But then you got to pee. It's just biology. Nothing's right or wrong. It's just biology. I hope that the untangling and the slowing down and the getting really granular about what it is that causes us to overeat has been helpful for you. If you have any questions, you know, you can email me delane at delanemd.com. You can try to send me a message through the comment section on the YouTube. I am not sure that I, I, I will see if I get it. If you don't get a response, if I get the message, I will respond to you. So if you don't get a response in a couple of days, send me a message through the email. You can find me on Facebook, Delane MD. You can find me on Instagram, Delane MD. Again, you can message me through those places. Same thing. I usually respond, but if for some reason I don't respond, let me know, re-email me, resend it, and I will do my best. I hope this was helpful. I will be back next week, possibly on YouTube, possibly not. I'll talk to you then.